0: Welcome to By the Sword, where we discuss the modern study of historical European martial arts, or HEMA, with instructors, experts and martial artists from all over the world. this episode, I talk to armoured combat duelist Shoshana Shellons of the USA. We discuss the realities of armoured combat and how to get into it, as well as the intersection between armoured combat and historical European martial arts. Uh, so Shoshana Schellens, uh, USA, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I've been following you for a while and uh, admiring everything that you do. So it's great to have you join us and um, ask you all these questions that uh, I've been dying to ask you.
1: Um, I Thank you too, so much Fran. It's so exciting to be here um, because I've just been following you too and enjoying what you do and the fact that we're actually getting together and doing this makes me very excited. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, you
0: uh, have a a game to get to after this, so we'll try not to take up too much of your precious time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's weird, you know, people are into swords, have all these kind of nerdy hobbies on the side, like, um, like D&D, amazing, uh, who would have thought it? Um, so just to start out, it's gonna be an obvious question, but how and when did you get into armored combat?
1: I got into armored combat itself in 2017. Um, I was lucky because there was a gym that opened up uh, locally in Colorado Springs, which was kind of unheard of, like the number of gyms, number less than the fingers on one hand in uh, the United States in general. But um, at the time, I was involved in a buffer fighting group, sort of like a sporty LARPy, similar to Daggerer or Bellegarth, if you've ever heard of them. And one of my friends in there, Anna, she said, hey, there's this gym that opened up and they're offering to teach longsword classes free first one would you go with me and I was like of course I'll go with you and um, so we go and it's Ironside Medieval Combat and indeed they are teaching Steel Longsword and it is in the format of Armored Combat or or the Boo Hurt duels um, because the instructors there uh, had been participating in that sport for a while and my first tournament was a month after my first class uh, where I got dressed up in loner gear and whatever they could basically strap to my body to keep me safe enough, and I was hooked. <laughs> so
0: one month in, you take part in your first competition. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my like follow-up questions was going to be, uh, if you do bow hurt or uh, armor combat, do people do it just for the recreational side, or is it kind of expected
1: that you're going to uh, compete? That's whatever you want to make of it. Uh, so I do know people that, that just enjoy the practices and they do local local demos and everything. And then you can get to the level of engagement of uh, working to represent your country at the world championships. And so there is everyone on the spectrum within the context of this sport. Probably the same for HEMA, yeah?
0: Yeah, I think I, I, yeah. I tagged you Team USA because I know that you have represented
1: your country uh is it if you've done battle of the nations i haven't done battle of the nations okay. yet um but i did imcf battle of the nations unfortunately has been cancelled ever since i qualified
0: oh i'm <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry i oh, don't know <laughs> um but yeah you you. i know you went to poland uh i think recently and uh, took part in is it was that the imcf that you did
1: it was not it was the uh it's it's basically the tournament that you is used for duelist selection for Poland and so it's like a Polish national championship that's open and so people from other countries can enter okay. and so that was one of the biggest format dueling tournaments that was accessible this year uh, due to world championships getting cancelled.
0: Oh damn, so like is, is that just is that down to Covid or is that just a
1: a, a thing that's happened or? So the two previous years was, was COVID, and yeah. this year due to the Russian invasion. Right, of course, yeah, because
0: <laughs> BOT, yeah, Battle of the Nations, is uh, it's started in Russia, I take it, and that's where it's organised from, of course. So just, right. Um, have you, like you, you said, I, I was going to ask you, have you ever done any other martial arts? So the thing, the sort of uh, gateway drug for you was the buffer fencing. How did you get into that, and have you do you continue to do that still?
1: Um, in a in a way. So I got into it in college. Yeah. And uh, and I and I got into it in college because of the other gateway, which was D and D. Uh, and <laughs> and so one of my friends, I like, I was just starting D and D at that time. Um, and one of uh, my friends within that group, the one who invited me to try that was also aware of this boffer group that had started in, in the area. And they're like, well, like, why don't you come with me to that? And it's like, heck, sure. And I go, and it's like a physical man- manifestation of our, um, of our fun with swords and all of that, like in the game. And I it, it just took really naturally to it, because I've always been a physical person uh, with sports and stuff in school, and then uh, reading the swords and sorcery. So it all just kind of brought these pieces, parts together. So and...
0: say so you, you are a nerdy joke.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd probably say it's like <laughs> nerdy nerdy stuff.
0: <laughs> because uh, I, I, I went to uh, uh, Fight Camp, which is like the biggest team event in the UK, uh, last weekend. And um, it's like, you know, we, we were saying at the beginning, like, we're, we're all sword nerds, right? So everybody's a nerd. And um, at Fight Camp, there's a kind of a tradition where everybody at the so- social gathering wears their uh, club or their group's um, regalia. Like if you fight 15th century uh, long sword, then you'll dress like a 15th century person in the bar kind of thing. So it gets a little bit kind of cosplay-larpy at, at that point. And there <laughs> was there was one group from Scotland who decided, and I didn't get the joke. It was like a real long playing joke. like. The, the payoff was worth it. They all came in these like varsity jackets with their names on the back. And I was like, what are they meant to be? And they did it from day one. And then it, like each day went on and they had these these jackets on. And then I realized they did, we've all come as nerds and they all decided to come as jocks. So I was like, oh.
1: they're here representing a sports team. <laughs> yeah. The the yeah. Like, oh, that's
0: the joke. I was like, oh no, now I get it. But like, it's like, uh people kind of have said about hema and maybe even more about armor combat we are just nerds who train really hard
1: like well <laughs> actually there's a there's a lot of people in our sport that weren't necessarily formally nerds they what? are athletic jocks that that found that they took really well to sword fighting and uh, they represent that facet of the population as well so and then,
0: yeah and then they get exposed to the nerdery i guess <laughs> Yeah, we're like just an intersection.
1: We, yeah, we we overlap with the swords, and then we're all exposed to the stuff that <laughs> isn't necessarily related. It, it's great. <laughs> and um, something I was going to ask you, um,
0: we we touched on this when when we had our little chat beforehand, because you're going to have to explain to me because I'm a complete um, I know know very little about armor combats, particularly in the USA. Um, I only know from like what the interviews I've had with like Knights of Wakanda and uh, Joe from uh, Swords of Cygnus who was on here uh, uh, last year. Um, But it's about, I don't know what how it works. Like I was asking you earlier, uh, you know, are you expected to get into competition? I assume that, that when people enter competitions, they go in as teams. But you said that you spent some time as a ronin, so like a lone warrior um without without a club um just representing yourself so how did that happen and and what's your sort of status now
1: um so it's possible to be kind of run in status when you're a duelist because right uh so i'm primarily a duelist and for for a time um when i wasn't doing um melees and doing duels and before the local team started um i would just go represent. So sometimes I wear the regalia of, of uh, my melee team, the Sea wolves, uh, the female melee team, even when we weren't fielding as much. Um, but yeah, like people, like the team thing is really big when it comes to that particular category. So we have the team fighting category. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if anyone who's watching isn't familiar, the team fighting category or melees can be as few as three versus three people. All the way up to like a, well, 21 versus 21, and then they experimented at a battle of the nations where they had 150 versus 150. Oh my God! People, um, where like nations allied and like faced each other, and often all the alls can be very large scale as well. Um, and so when you're participating in a tournament like that, uh, there's there's also boo hurt league and all of that. Um, you you do come as a team. You all wear similar uh, colors, tabards, um, and and you're registered as a team. Um, and then often duelists will come as part of that team, even if they are just a duelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if duelists are just on their own, they just uh, show up.
0: <laughs> the, the cool maverick fighters that turn up. Um, and on that, on that sort of, on that vein, you have your own particular livery, your heraldry. The blue and the white is what you're associated with. I can see your shield you've got behind you. Now, how did that come about? Is that your own personal um, livery or is that from a particular
1: group? It is uh, for myself and it's completely made up. It's not associated (laughs) with any real heritage or anything. Um, When it comes to armored combat, they have um, some loose medieval rules that you kind of have to abide by when creating heraldry. So you're not going out there with uh, My Little Pony or (laughs) (laughs) Pickle Rick (laughs) or whatever. Uh, So for mine, um, a raven has always been important to me. Well, always, I mean, since high school, uh, I did a little spirit quest and a raven came. And um, once I learned about ravens, I found that they had a lot of interesting lessons that I could benefit from. And so I look up to them very much. And so I kind of wanted the raven as a buddy to bring with me into the list. (laughs) And so the easiest way to do that was to paint, paint one on my shield. And um, the rest... The white is for genuineness and purity. Um, The blue is like uh, truth or something like that. There's some there's some loose meanings with the colors that I didn't go into very much. Um, I have a moon that is specifically a waxing moon. The idea of turning back face the world after a dark period. Always kind of optimistic, and then. the star uh, compass rose is both for polaris for guidance and for travel and so mobility i put something jagged in there because i'm from a mountainous place <laughs>
0: yeah, i love this i love it. i love all the explanation like i've had people on the the show before like from hema clubs and i was like explain your heat your club back badge to me and they go well this represents this. I'm like, oh my God, this is actually really interesting. You know what, you know, people don't just randomly pick stuff cause it looks cool necessarily. there's always like a little bit of meaning. I mean, even if you originally picked it, cause I, I think ravens are cool or whatever <laughs> over time, you're going to go, well, they're, you know, you know, I do feel a connection with them. Like, you know, they, they've, you know, been part of my life. Are you one of these people who teaches them to like steal cash and stuff? Steal, steal what? They can bring you cash oh gosh if I you give them if you give cool them you give them gifts you can teach them to to bring back uh, dollar bills and stuff oh
1: uh, like, yeah <laughs> ravens are so incredibly smart and uh they practice reciprocity super cool i have not had the benefit of having this kind of relationship <laughs> with a raven but in- incredibly brilliant for for a critter for a bird brain right like they're probably smarter than a lot of mammals and uh and so playful and um and uh, definitely great about calling for help from the friends, That's just something that, uh, a lesson that I had to learn. <laughs>
0: they're an interesting animal, because like, they've got this kind of reputation for being like a harbinger of doom or portents, whatever, but also they're very like, interesting and fun and playful and uh, you know, they have a lot of interaction with human beings and they're really intelligent. Uh, yeah,
1: they're kind of the dualist I wanna be. <laughs> yeah. like take yourself
0: seriously but not too seriously (laughs) um so you said you did a lot of sports when you were a kid and when you were in college and stuff what kind of stuff did you do do you think it helped you um because i mean one month into the sport and you're taking part in competitions you must be
1: (laughs) preparing (laughs) Uh, the, the the sports, um, I was indefinitely helped when it came for uh, discipline and dedication. I knew mm-hmm. what it took to get good at something thanks right. to having learned lessons through school. But the sports I did didn't have much to do with sword fighting. And huh. so I just can say I, I, um, I did the sports you do, not the sports you play. And so I did swimming and I did track and I did cross country. Um, I did play lacrosse uh, one season and I've actually it to some field sense. Um, <laughs> if anyone's familiar with lacrosse, there's definitely um, an awareness for your placement on the field when you, when it comes to the team fights. But um, yeah, I was usually doing a, a three sport year in school. I did swimming um, like all my life up until high school and I was no longer forced to do it anymore. <laughs> and, and then um, after that, I only dabbled a little in martial arts. I always had great admiration um, for the martial arts, but I uh, never saw myself in it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, I, I went into just fitness things to stay fit. Uh, so I was in the military, um, and then I went into to CrossFit. And after a while, CrossFit uh, was like, wow, I'm, I'm exercising a whole lot to to be good at exercising. Yeah. And then I was like, boy, I'd really like to exercise for something else and then and then this kind of came and uh and finally crossfit was was applying to to something that i was seriously passionate about that's interesting
0: you say oh wow i'm exercising to be good at exercising like <laughs> because, like for me i was a very nerdy uh non-sporty at all i always had a note to get out of doing physical activities like oh, i don't my mum to come up for some reason why i can't do it and then when it's like you get to a point where you want to train to you want to be good at the thing so like well I better improve my physical performance uh I actually want to train I want to do a, I want to do physical training to be good at the thing that I enjoy and that's when it starts to to feed in and I think a lot of kids um who don't like sport could benefit from doing things like uh you know buffer sparring whatever because when you're doing sword fighting you don't feel like you're doing a uh, you know an exercise at all because you're just enjoying it
1: um yeah it could be that the the kids that traditionally don't like sports is just because they don't have access to the right ones
0: exactly you don't have access to the right ones and it's interesting you saying oh i did the doing sports rather than the the, <laughs> the competing side of it so you never had the competing side what well, was the
1: individual competition? Yeah, so you're racing against your own time. Well, and... Yeah, you're
0: not going yeah. against right up against that. There's not that confrontation. Did you have any but... issues? Now, this is something that I find a lot as an as an instructor of of uh, new fencers. I've got new bunch of fencers uh, joining me next week. Did you have any issues with confrontation when you first had to like? I'm going back to like when you first picked up a foam sword or whatever you had to whack someone with it did you go oh no i can't do that did part of you
1: struggle with that oh this is a fascinating subject and yes i i struggled with it i I still do from time to time sometimes sometimes it hits you emotionally and you're not ready for it um but it's practicable Uh, it's not as bad as it used to be but yeah i i had some difficulty uh, with being struck hard Mm. by um by an opponent, I would never take it personally, like objectively, I knew they're not punishing me, right? And, uh, but I would feel that pain and that impact, and I wasn't used to these face-to-face combat sports. And I would have to consciously prevent myself from becoming emotional in response. And then there was the other side of it too, where you have to demonstrate um, a significant amount of force when striking another person. And I didn't want them to feel punished, you know, subconsciously. And so sometimes it was hard not not to hold back. Um, You have to learn the lesson that armor really does work in this sport and you can and are supposed to hit with uh, full force. (laughs) Um, And that's also another little bit of a division that I've noticed when it comes to women and men. I I feel uh, women fighting, they have a little bit more of an emotional hurdle on average uh, than a male does when it comes to um, this combat sport. And so sometimes uh, a female can our woman can take it more personally when they're struck by a male member of the team. And uh the advice I give for that is is just communicate. Make sure you're talking and like don't internalize anything. Don't feel embarrassed. Just be like, hey, I'd like to do this slowly or hey, I'd like to take a little bit of a break or, ooh, that was hard. I need a second, you know, and then just talk it. So that way it's out there and easy and not fermenting. And uh and then it's it's a better experience in the long run. <laughs>
0: that's brilliant that's brilliant explanation i want because like this is how i wonder what it's like because like in hema um you can be penalized for hitting too hard um because what we like what we're doing represents people who it's as if we weren't wearing any armor so you know you're simulating fighting with a sharp sword against someone with with no armor on so you're not simulating trying to knock someone out. You're not simulating someone fighting with armor on. So, it's a, you know, you, the, hitting too hard is unnecessary. But what right, you, like how many
1: pounds of pressure could, does it take to cut the flesh with a sharp yeah, sword? very not little. Much. I mean, a,
0: sword, a sharp sword is doesn't require any effort at all. It's like going through butter, you know. Um, but then what you're describing is like, you have to demonstrate force. And there's that kind of, you know, what's too much or you know where's your limit of how much uh you know someone can strike you and I wonder I did wonder about you know if there were any kind of limits that people set in armor combat about striking heavy or if it's just there is no limit you've just got to knock them over and that's it you've got to trust the armor and the armor will do its job kind of thing I mean can you get hurt or is the armor that good?
1: <laughs> you can get hurt and yeah. um, you are there is no, um, what's it called? There's, the, there's that good word for scaling back. Uh, there's there's none of that in competition, mm-hmm. um, but it's important to identify that in the practice and training setting. And yeah. so oftentimes um, if I'm interacting with someone, I'm, I'm not too into my soft gear or whatever I'm wearing, I was like, hey, can we go at 50%, go at 70%? Um, yeah. and, and just being very vocal about how intensely you want to train with uh, your particular training partner. Um, but right in competition you no one is penalized for for striking too hard because your armor is supposed to do the job
0: yeah what kind i mean what kind of injuries do you get is it injuries from like concussion or are we talking about armor breaking or is it the armor itself can that cause any injuries well, yeah. uh,
1: you probably you guys probably have the term armor bites too and harness in or. uh I don't know well, if i'm pronouncing it right i can't
0: afford harness fact and i don't that's a so my some right?
1: <laughs> um, but i would say our injuries might be analogous to football um <laughs> and so we're, we're usually going to come out of a competition looking like we were in a paintball match um right but it shouldn't be anything too tense you're going to get bruising uh, someone's going to find a gap perhaps uh, whether you're in the duels or the team fighting setting a lot of injuries you're going to get is like knee injury, you know, your typical body falls on another body or you take a big shot like just at that right angle. Um, concussions happen, unfortunately, uh, when you're not padding your helmet correctly. Um, there's a lot of resources out there for padding your helmet correctly, which is so, so important. <laughs> mm. And uh, and so there's a lot of emphasis on, on maintaining and checking your gear, uh, watching your teammates, making sure their gear is good because that is what is preventing injury out in the field
0: I, I was thinking like i don't know if this this conversation is taking part place in your community but in my community i haven't heard anyone talking about this much uh beyond my own little circle mm-hmm. but about the long-term effects of head trauma like the american football like you described is is looking into this now like people having you know, repeatedly being struck in the head over a career and what that does to you. Is that, is there any kind of delving
1: into that at all? Yes, I have seen some. Um, The community has taken interest in TBIs. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, I think I'm hearing my own echo. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And actually, recently there was an online seminar, I wasn't able to make it, Um, But to specifically talk about TBIs and people's experiences with them Mm -hmm. and the long-term effects. And so it's definitely drawn some attention, which is so good. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. So what, so the, like you were saying, like the padding is really important. Um, Is there anything that we can, I mean, it's the brain itself is like the consistency of butter. I've heard it described and it's in your skull. Like there's no amount of padding that's gonna sort of um, stop it from slopping around and hitting the in- inside of your skull, which is what which is what a concussion is. Do you think that the sport is gonna be changed at some point in the future, or that the gear is gonna get modified for that to allow for that?
1: Um. Well, uh I do believe that concussion is preventable uh, with with the right amount of padding, and I I don't. I don't see it as often as I would have expected, I guess. And, uh, and so normally we have like the, the medieval style quilted coif with aventail underneath. And then we're expected in between that and the layer of the helmet, it's either going to be a suspension system or mm. it's going to be modern uh, concussion foam padding. Um, I use something that's called K-Flex and you basically put it in there to like completely, you know, surround your head and especially your your temples, behind the ears, mastoid process, and and all of those areas. And if you've got your helmet padded properly, um, that it shouldn't happen, knock on wood.
0: <laughs> Someone just said, we got brains to spare. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, what you're saying about the suspension system, that's quite interesting. I've seen, uh, I don't know if these exist in your sport, but I've seen, like, Leon Paul, the sports fencing manufacturer, created a a prototype helmet, they called it so it's like a mask slash helmet and the it is just kind of suspended inside the mask helm and so that means that when you receive a strike to the head the force goes into the shoulders you don't actually feel it in your head at all it, does, have you heard of anything like that
1: uh, the only thing that i've heard like that is uh someone who described how their Salad. Sale. <laughs> I've heard both. Okay, so How I their guess. salad works because it's got it's got this um built in um gorget. hmm Not gonna say gourget. <laughs> gourget. <laughs> um, like, and, and the punches, it actually kind of like it takes the impact to the front of the gorget, and so they take it on the chest, they take it on the upper back. And so I've heard a, a salet be described as working in the way that you describes this new helmet? Ma- helmet? <laughs>
0: helmet. I think that, the nickname is the helmet but uh <laughs> it's
1: just a prototype I think. Yeah. I, I mean I don't I don't have any experience with the selling myself but uh that's how I heard it described to me. They they're like, "Yeah, I take a punch and like it just
0: Have it you doesn't... ever suffered any uh concussion yourself?"
1: Um not from not from armored combat, thankfully. <laughs> Good. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so, we're ah. just checking i'll just wonder like how common is it you know like some people seem to be susceptible to them or whether it's gear or if it's an individual sort of predisposition i don't know but it's something that i'm curious about so moving on we are half past the hour halfway into a more than halfway into our interview folks at home if you'd like to ask Sushana a question, please do. I can see that some of you've commented in the comments and there is a question in the question box. So while we're here, I'm just gonna see what people are saying. If I can get into it uh, and read out any, if anyone said anything useful.
1: Lots Thank of you guys so for much
0: in. for coming. <laughs> Thank you everyone. Wow. So we've got all of the by the sword followers, all of the uh, uh, shot and shield. Followers are here as well. So many people. Hema has certainly helped me narrate combat better for tabletop. Well, there's an added benefit. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. it kind of, it, like, once you know how to use the sword, it kind of, it, it changes your perspective of D&D and how uh, damage works, certainly. Uh, yeah, I,
1: uh, I'm in a and d game now, and I came like in media res in the middle of it, and they're like, can you can you play a uh, fighter character? And I was like, I think so. <laughs> and I found that playing D&D, after having been an armed combatant, I bring a whole new facet to the character. It's fantastic.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Can you play a fighter? I am a fighter. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Christine says, my first experience was two months after I started. So that's another person like two months into Armored Combat taking part in competition. Is that a friend? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flex on artistry. I've been doing SCA for a while, so this is interesting. So that's another uh, sword adjacent community. Do you get many folks joining from SCA? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. In the United States. It's a big community, so I guess it's inevitable, really. Um, so what I was going to ask you, I'm just going through these before we sort of open it to the floor. Uh, we were talking about the crossover between HEMA, historical European martial arts and armor combat. So obviously you get folks, and I was saying like you, people I see in my community, I think you'd be better off doing armor combat I think you know you're hitting really hard and you're not you're not no you're not registering anything that's sort of landing on you you're acting as if you are wearing armor maybe armor combat would be your thing you know this isn't something I go up and say to people because they're big and scary and I don't want them to hurt me but it's something that I think (laughs) So something that i think I, I i do genuinely i don't mean that in a, and i don't mean that in a disparaging way towards ac uh and um and bohurt and stuff but you know it i something i want to explain and sort of demonstrate to my own community through these interviews is that we are all on the same page we're all in the same sort of community we're just approaching it from different perspectives so like if you're doing armor combat armor being the important bit you're going to fight differently too someone who is fighting as if they're not wearing any armor and they're using like a very sharp sword so i see people in hemo i think you would probably be better off doing armored combat does that work the other way do you ever see people doing armored combat you think you should turn your hand to HEMA? you you'd probably be really good at that does that ever happen
1: um uh, that was a, a a lot of good stuff and i'm going to start with uh, the people who might be doing better in armored combat um I I feel it's a lack of self discipline if they're not able to abide Where is by that to the associate and so, I'm, a, I'm being a bit polite then, so it. going into armored combat will help uh, cancel out that particular fault in their behavior um, mm-hmm. but then of course that particular kind of behavior might might exhibit itself in other ways and so it would just have to be addressed on a on a person by person basis and um as far as like people uh, that I look at and say hey Jihima uh I I admire the heck out of HEMA. And um, anyone who is going into longsword duels, I, I, you know, they want to talk about longsword duels. And I was like, you should also be doing HEMA in order to get um, your your precision and timing and flow. Um, Because you guys do such wonderful work. You guys have to be precise and have good timing because you guys are ending to a certain blow.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We keep... Going, but if they have the benefit of of that precision and timing, then they get to maintain that for an entire round, then that's like. Mm. primo (laughs) so the fit the fitness of armored combat plus the precision of HEMA put together makes such an excellent duelist and so I always encourage people to cross over especially well duelists I don't know what kind of uh, team fighting scenarios you guys do but Mm -hmm. when it comes to dueling I say hey if you can do HEMA uh, go for it I've learned some great things from from HEMA practitioners that also cross over into our group it's great in Colorado we just we're, we're all mixing, we're all sharing knowledge, and we're developing this beautiful universal language in medieval combat, um, because there's no inhibition about crossing over, if you will. And so, uh, yeah, I'm never shy about recommending HEMA. Uh, I never feel that anyone needs to do HEMA instead of armored combat, um, yes. because armored combat is sort of the pinnacle of, like, I guess, violence um, when it comes to the, the medieval combat sports. And so, like, there's no there, there, there's no like ah, oh, you need to scale it back and and do something else because you're kind of just at the extreme at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because like dueling is basically like dueling is a category within armor combat, but that is all we do. Um, so yeah, it makes sense that those skills would transfer well um, to. Cause do you, I know you did longsword. Do people do sword and buckler dueling as
1: well? Yeah, Sword and Buckler
0: is one of my favorite categories. Awesome. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that, uh, that do that. It's not as, as popular as Longsword, but it is, it is an, uh, a thing as well. Um, so let's just see. they've got a question in the question box. I'll just uh, see if I missed anything in the comments first. Oh, here we go. This is an interesting one. Felix De Ritter says, what was your worst
1: injury, Ashana?" Oh. oh, gosh. Hey, Felix. Um, so my worst injury, gosh, I'm thinking immediately back to this, uh, ax shot. I got to the lower back, um, when I was in a group fight and this was the end of 2017, the end of my first year involved. Um, We kind of call it flagging. Uh, Someone's got control of your upper torso and you're bent over and your and your butts kind of hanging out there and someone took this vertical shot with an axe right to my lower back. And I was out for like three months. And uh, now it's like 2022. And and recently going to a chiropractor, uh, they they said that um, through compensation, my pelvis actually healed a little bit twisted uh from from my spine um and the moral of that story is i should have been getting physical therapy right after that happened but then i just kind of ignored it and so if any of you are getting injuries bodily injuries i don't care if you're 21 like (laughs) go get looked at so that way your muscles don't compensate and cause things to be janky (laughs) god damn so
0: someone has you bent over like a number seven and then someone just dropped an axe to your lower back
1: yeah that was during a time I was wearing ill-fitting armor too because I was borrowing yeah uh, and I was wearing chest armor that was too large for me so it didn't it didn't do what it was supposed to do
0: <laughs> yeah I think I think this is a thing like universally like armor that doesn't fit is sometimes worse than none at all because <laughs> it can yes. cause, cause uh big big problems um oh, that sounds really that uh, get physical therapy folks, don't ignore injuries. Uh... right, Alex Somoski, nineteen eighty three. Having done melee in college, do you think that helped you with sword skills? They mean the uh the foam the fighting.
1: Yeah, uh Alex is a friend from back in the in the buffer fighting days. And one hundred percent like going into armored combat from doing Um, The boffer fighting was huge, like uh, in boffer fighting we already get an eye for combos, we get an eye for movement and speed and body positioning and uh, that translated very well um, going into Armored Combat Duels because you already have an eye for that and so then you get to focus more on getting over the armor hurdle.
0: (laughs) So what was it like? Can you remember the first time you put armor on? How did it feel?
1: It uh, it felt heavy. (laughs)
0: Did you feel like I can't move kind of thing or?
1: um well, when I was first in the ill feeding, I was literally wearing my male coach's arms as my legs <laughs> and uh and then they just had a big chest armor wearing uh a helmet that was too heavy for me um the excitement certainly outweighed the discomfort of it but it it i was definitely aware of it in the beginning and you you fight against it in the beginning and you you're trying to compensate for what you feel the armor is inhibiting and it takes a lot of practice to get used to it and then if you get a good fitting kit then like you get this other nice jump up
0: (laughs) so tell tell me brass packs how much what's the outlay if you want to start doing uh combat for like the full kit What's the what like? What's the initial outlay? How much does it cost you to get oh. fitting armor when you yeah. start? So, um,
1: you can. There's a whole range of of money you can spend with um, mm-hmm. the sport, and so you can you can buy Maximilian armor, spending twenty five thousand to thirty dollars on a, thirty thousand dollars on a kit. Yeah. Um, so that's like historically. Um, getting... And then there's the people who uh join the buy sale pages people are selling things secondhand if the measurements are right and you can piece together your armor from these secondhand pieces or people who are selling for cheaper you can end up even getting a kit together for as low as two thousand dollars um and so people can be very methodical and and smart about it some people just are like i'm going to get the ready kit like i think medieval extreme Tech uh, companies like that that have a full ready kit that you can get just for like a flat rate, probably around 2500 something like that. Um, so I'd say it's probably like purchasing a car. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Get a beaten up secondhand one or you can get a,
1: a top of the range. Yeah. So oftentimes people will have like holdover pieces that um, once you already buy it secondhand, it's not going to decrease that much in value unless you destroy it. Yeah. Um, and okay. then you can sell it back into the community when you're ready to get your final pieces, which <laughs> is kind of how people move through it.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. So um, it's like, something else I was gonna ask you is like, the, the armor is like, 50% of, of what you're doing. It's like really, it's really important, obviously. Do you have to become technically adept at maintaining it yourself?
1: Is this what you find over time? Uh, Yeah, you find over time that you, you learn a lot about maintaining your kit. Pretty much everyone who has kit now can, you know, rivet or attach a new strap. Uh, So broken leather straps, um, riveting, hammering it in the right place. Uh, We attach our own usually arming points to our gambesons. How the, this is how the armor attaches to us is by attaching it to the, the quilted coat. Um, And so everybody gets pretty good at that uh, because normally it's looked down upon if you continue to know nothing about how to maintain your kit like three years in and you keep going to the same person they'll eventually be like here let me give you a class and then (laughs) I'm not going to help you for a while you know that kind of thing. You don't want to be that guy. And so yeah Yeah. normally you become uh, reasonably um, skilled at maintaining your own kit so that way you don't burden anyone else.
0: (laughs) You can can see why uh, people would have Folks to do it for them, and sort of as they work their way up uh, through the
1: ranks. Yeah, so then... we'll still practically have a designated armor, in, armorer, in teams that can that can make these quick fixes just to take the burden off the fighters. Um, and so it's all a balance.
0: Yeah. Um, Beer battered thoughts. Will Shoshana become a national instructor someday?
1: Is that on <laughs> your wish list? Hi, Cyrus. Um, I would love to instruct. I I think uh, I. I know enough to do like a beginning level sword and shield class. If anyone was interested in having me teach it, I think I would jump on the opportunity.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, Felix again. Shashan, group fights or duels? What do you like
1: more? I think I know. <laughs> I um, am better suited to duels. I I like the mono, the the person to person, the one thing to focus on um, I'm not a great multitasker. (laughs) And I feel like people who are better at multitasking are usually better at the melees because they can reprioritize. Um, You know, so and so is engaged with so and so and this person's engaged with so and so and they can take a look and be like, Okay, he's fine. He's not go help him. Oh, shoot, this takes priority. Now that's behind me, somebody's coming up and like, do all of this stuff. And uh, that's difficult for me. Like if you I had a really good team, a women's team, when I was in and, you know, they give, like, I kind of have one job and I was a bit of a sheepdog. And so, like, if I got to look at the field as a whole, I could do a good job of putting my body in the right place to help manipulate people into proper positions in order for the rest of my team to do what they do best. Uh, but I just take more naturally to duels.
0: <laughs> You'd probably be a good team captain as well, but your, your heart lies in the duel.
1: I love I, I love um the skill associated with the duel mm-hmm. and uh I I love the discipline associated with the proficiency in um an arming sword or long sword. Uh there's certainly skill and proficiency in, in wielding a two handed axe in the team fights. Um it's just a little bit different. And so there you're putting people down, it's a different goal, like onto the ground. And then in duels you're you're in it for points. And so you're not yeah, yeah you're not going to like make them sit down you're into it to like oh snap 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 and it's like could you block it or not
0: (laughs) so the duel is a lot like um a lot like boxing in a way or like you're not going for a knockout necessarily you're just trying to score as many land as many hits as you can in a, right. Like um,
1: in the duels, you accrue points over a timed round. And then uh, there's, there's a really great compromise between the melee and the duel, which is the one versus one pro fight. And that's the one that's going to be the most like a, a boxing match or MMA, uh, mm-hmm. because you can throw your punches and kicks and uh, do your takedowns, and those will count towards your score, whereas it's just sword hits and disarms um, that count toward your score in the duels.
0: Do you ever do fight nights? I see like there's a group called the Alicorns in um, Nashville. Uh, they have like, they have a ring and it's like MMA and they have uh, like nights where people can come and watch it like a spectator sport. Do you ever take part in stuff like that? Or is it always?
1: So, uh, nights like those are based around the pro fight and I still haven't done an official pro fight yet, yeah. but um, it's definitely a category I'm really interested in and uh I started some boxing classes. I'd, I'd love to try to try to get into it. Awesome! We'll have to look out
0: for that. Uh, <laughs> so, and also looking out for you teaching someday. Uh, Brendan oh M- McKenna says, uh, "What weapons do you favor?"
1: Oh, I favor the arming sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is lit. And so the arming sword is the sword that we use for the sword and shield duel or the sword and buckler duel. If you're in Western kit, um you'll use a saber or uh something like that when you're in eastern kit. And normally these guys weigh um minimum for H and B rules is one point three kilograms. Um and then I like this one the most because it's got a balance like right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is awesome. And so yeah, this this is this is my baby. Uh but when it comes to melees I like the, the two handed axe for the team fights. So do you use the arming sword with that shield you got
0: behind you? Yep. Yep. As you're known for. <laughs> uh, um see if there's any more comments here. As predicted, loads of questions. Uh right, that's another one. So oh we've got five in the uh inbox. Let me see. We've got uh here we go. Wyatt Blackburn, what is Shoshana's next major event? What's on the oh, uh,
1: my next event is uh, Axe Snacks. It's just like the greatest name. What's so it, it called? Axe Snacks. Axe Snacks. for axes, uh, but it's an acronym that stands oh. for Armored Combat Sports North American Championships. And uh, that's coming up in um, October 8th to 9th in Reno, Nevada. And it is serving as the national championship for the ACS League. But they have opened it to um, Mexico and and Canada. And so it's sort of going to be like a North American championship. Um, I joked in one of my posts, and I was like, so does that make it Continentals? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I guess it depends on who they send from uh, Canada and Mexico. But that's going to be really exciting. And they've got like six dueling formats. Six. They've got buckler and shield and longsword and polearm two-handed axe and greatsword as their dueling categories
0: oh wow uh (laughs) brendan says can you explain the scoring in duels what kind of strikes get points
1: um so the strikes that are going to get the points um have to be powerful enough to get the point and have to have proper edge alignment and so you're not going to be getting points from hitting the flat of your sword against a Against their helmet, It also can't be inhibited by the shield, so you're not getting points if you're just hitting their shield or if, or if you're successfully blocked. So you actually have to get good end alignment, strong strike onto your opponent's armor, and then you'll get a point. Sometimes two points, depending on the rule set. And then they'll count those points over a timed round. Um, there are a couple other things that you can get points for in the duels. So if your opponent falls for any reason, um, they're going to get the penalty, which is points to you. Or if, uh, for any reason, they drop their weapon, that's going to be points to you as well.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, well, I'm going to try and get through these as quick as I can because you've got a game to get to. Uh, Alex, Probably not in a rush. I'm good. So <laughs> you're up right. To you. Okay, okay, okay. We can go over <laughs> a little bit. Alex Simosky, 1983, having done melee in College, college. Uh, oh no, you've already done that one. He lost that in the in the comments. Um. Uh, how does a person who's, this is Brian in real life, how does a person who's never been in armored combat get into the hobby?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so there are resources online to help you locate your team. So, for example, in the United States, uh, one of our fellow fighters, um, Boris tumak created a website called startfighting.info. Startfighting.info.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the one.
1: Yeah, so you basically go, if you're in the United States, you go there, you can find the team that's closest to you and then find them and contact them. Um, And basically the best way to get involved is to just find your local team because then they're going to have ways that you can engage without having armor yet. And uh, they'll be able to tell you about who to get armor from and you can participate as support or learn how to marshal, any of that. If you don't have a team near you and you end up kind of like being a ronin duelist, um, Pell work, Pell work, Pell work. <laughs> and then if you have the benefit of borrowing armor to get into your first tournament, that's great. But networking is a huge part of it. So if you can't get no a local team, get onto the online scene. There's armored combat communities, uh, Booherd International, BooHurt North America. You know, just search the right keywords, which is going to be armored combat, Booherd. Um And and get linked with those people
0: <laughs> where, where does most of the discussion like where does most of the community discussion take place is it facebook is it uh, some kind of forum it is primarily
1: facebook yeah yeah um some say would some would say unfortunately it's yeah. facebook yeah
0: it's really hard but to find stuff
1: like <laughs> that's where i find about about tournaments that's where i ask questions you know if anyone's messaging me on uh my page asking hey like i'd like to find my local team i'm in lithuania you know for example i'll be like oh i'll go to Hurt international and be like anybody doing practices in lithuania and that's where i'll get my answer
0: so buha international is that the facebook group that people should visit um... right
1: you are not located in the united states that's a great resource yes. um in the united states a really great resource just for asking questions that i've seen people be really responsive on is armored combat sports community mm-hmm. uh, and there's also Boo Hurt North America. And uh, so people can just come in and say, hey, I'm brand new to this. Like, someone point me in a direction, and I'll go. And someone will point you in a direction.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So that's the way, way to go. Um, I think we've covered all of the questions in there. Um, Brendan says, I just did my first HEMA Armour competition a few weeks ago. It was really good fun. Balls Tooth 2022 Rookie of the Year. Self proclaimed as the only other rookie. Well done. <laughs> nice one, Brendan. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! Go you! Uh, right. I'm going to finish up with one last question. Um, let's look at what are the common misconceptions about armoured combat that you come across?
1: Um, completely innocent misconceptions are are those that uh, feel that we are associated with um, like Renaissance festivals exclusively, or the medieval times restaurant that we have in the United States, uh, thinking that what we do is choreographed and for entertainment. And so normally the greatest misconception is just, you know, explaining to these people, oh, it's a sport, you know, we're scored, we've got judges and marshals, and uh, it's got a rule set equivalently as complicated as as any other combat sport out there.
0: I think my favorite question from the public when they see you fighting is, are those real swords? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's in your imagination. imagination.
1: (laughs) We have a vested interest in having these people to compete with again in the future. So yeah. there's certain limitations that we have. They
0: are not—they sh- are real, but they are not sharp. Is oh gosh,
1: like the best questions I get. And they're like, well, in a real fight, wouldn't you just do this and this and this? And there's like, so a lot of times I just have to remind people this is a sport. We're not actually trying to kill each other. And like, this is why you don't bring a gun to a boxing match. Like yeah. there are... Limitations for how you engage the other person, person, and those limitations are meant to emphasize very particular skills. Yeah, and uh, and so that's why, like,
0: <laughs> I love that you don't bring a gun to a boxing match. It's, yeah a right. different. Like, yeah, if I
1: really wanted to kill a person, yeah, I would bring a gun. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't do it here. <laughs> but we're sword fighters here, doing this for points. So there's a certain way we go about things.
0: Exactly. Uh oh. Hi- I, I think I'll leave that as my last question and that just leaves me to say Shoshana thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you really so pleasant. much for having me this was a really fun interview thank you so much.
0: And uh, go kick ass in your D&D game. Thanks. Take <laughs> Bye thank you very Bye. much. Bye guys. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To show your appreciation please give us a five-star review on your podcast platform or support our work by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash swordwomen. Go to at swordwomen on Instagram to see upcoming interviews or visit bythesword.net to learn about our events or visit our Facebook page ByTheSword.